Father, we do cry out to you. We lift our eyes and we recognize that you are the only source of our help. You are the only source of our hope. So we rest in your care this day and always. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to remind you again, just like last week, that um, please feel free to use the number at the bottom of the screen to text in any comments or questions you might have about the sermon today. We will try to address those at our Facebook Live gathering, 12, 10 p.m. this Wednesday, just like we did last week. A lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. Look forward to doing that again. And kids, thank you for those that contributed pictures of God's castle. We talked about God being a fortress last week. It was fun just to see the creative work you were doing. Joshua, I love the defensive weapon you added in there. That was really cool. And Mikey, using blocks to build your castle. Wow, really nice idea. Way to go, guys. And I know there were several others that, that drew them out and did some things but didn't send the picture. That's fine. I'm so glad you, you were part of it. Today, kids, just a thought, we're going to talk about intersections, okay? And I think you know what an intersection is on a roadway. You know, where one road crosses another road, that's the point of intersection, where, where a car from one road can meet up with a car from another road. And so today, if you want to, I invite you to draw or build an intersection, because we're going to talk about how God creates an intersection for us to meet with him. So, last week, the psalm asked the question, what's your bottom line? This week's psalm is going to ask the question, who is your God, and where do you meet him? This is the spot, my sons. Shalom, my friend. I, I don't know that word. It's something my family says. It's a greeting of peace. You won't find much of that here, I'm afraid. I'm Jacob. I'm Yassib. Yassib, I would offer you something to drink, but as you can see, we have just begun work on our well. You bought this land from the sons of him. For only 100 quesida, can you believe it? <laughs> I believe it every time the princes of this land cheat another foreigner. You will cost the day you pay that 100 quesita. And what do you think would have been a fair price? Zero quesita, zero goats, zero... I have 12 sons to work the land, and once we strike water... You will never strike water. Yes, the recent rain makes the land look lush, but the underground river runs around the mountain, not up it. Our God takes care of us. This is Canaan. The gods are not nice here. <laughs> We won't be here that long. We are sojourners. Ah, and what are you looking for? A land our God promised my grandfather, Abraham. Your grandfather? You ever notice how the gods are always promising us things, but we never really see them happen? Sometimes it takes generations. Ah, <laughs> suit yourself. So what is this uh, god of yours called, anyway? El Shaddai. I've never heard of him. Not many people have, but I think someday they will. You have no home? Where's your temple for this god? He has no temple. So where do you worship him? Build altars wherever we go. And you do not carry him with you? <laughs> no. 
There are no carved titles of him. So he's invisible? Yes. Well, usually. There was one time he broke my hip. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I've heard enough. Of all the gods you could possibly choose from, you pick an invisible god whose promises take generations to come true, who, who makes you sojourn in strange places, and he broke your hip. That is a strange choice. <laughs> oh, immigrants. We didn't choose him. Father! He chose us. So who is your God? How do you access him? What's the intersection point that you can meet with him? Did you choose him? Or did he choose you? Psalm 121 is a very familiar psalm to many people. I know my mother used to quote it to me when I was a boy growing up. I, I heard it for many, many years, and many others have as well. It's, a, it's called a psalm of ascent. And it was used by Jewish pilgrims as they would travel from their villages to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a mountain. They would ascend the mountain to the temple of God, and they would sing these different songs. So for the next few moments, just imagine with me, if you would, 2,800 years ago, a young Jewish family is leaving their village for like an 80-mile journey to Jerusalem, okay? And as they're going along, they know that they are going to face some challenges on this journey. They know that they are going to spend several days out under the heat of the sun. They're going to be camping out under the moon. And there are going to be unknown dangers along the way. So as they begin their journey and as they're walking along, as their little village is disappearing over the horizon behind them, the father begins to sing these words, which we know as Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forevermore. See, this family knows that they are going to need help for the journey that they're on. And as they lift their eyes from the road that they're trudging down, the path that they're on, they look up, and in front of them is all the mountains. And when they see the mountains, their minds turned to the things that are on those mountains. I think we all know from the earliest of times, people believed that there were basically two realms of creation. There was the physical realm, and that's the realm down here where we are. And then there's the heavenly or spiritual realm, and that's the realm where we see the stars and such, right? And, and so the idea used to be that if you wanted to access the spiritual realm, all you needed to do was gain some altitude. If you could, you would build a large tower, like the Tower of Babel. But if you couldn't build that tower, what you did was you climbed the highest mountain. And when you got to the highest place, you would build a, a worship center or a shrine of some sort there, and you would dedicate it to a specific god, a god that you wanted to seek your help from. 
So the mountains became also known as the high places, and they began to contain worship sites and shrines that were given to those dedicated gods. So let's say you were looking for a way to make sure that your flocks had good fertility and you had a lot of offspring from, from your sheep. Or let's say you wanted to protect your crops from bad storms in the coming year. You would travel to a particular worship site where you would go up nice and high so you could access that particular god. You could intersect with that god at that moment and ask for that deity's help. So the psalmist looks up and he considers all the options that are out there. And he says, no, nah, none of them. He says that his help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He identifies his helper by a name and by an activity. First of all, let's look at that name. It's fascinating. Whenever you see in the Old Testament uh, the word Lord uh, typed out in all capital letters, that's kind of a translator's hint to us all that what they're translating is the personal name of God. It's the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. Our best guess is it might be pronounced something like Yahweh. So the only reason we know this name is because God told us his name. God revealed to us his name. God revealed to us his nature and his character. And God revealed to us his choice. He said that he was going to choose a people to be his very own. He'd call them by name, and they would be his. That's no accident that in John 15, Jesus looked to his disciples and said, you did not choose me but I chose you. See, we know God's personal name, and unlike the impersonal gods of the high places, we are in a personal relationship. God initiated a personal name-to-name -name relationship between him and his people. That's his name. The second thing is the activity. Did you notice? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This God is one who, who made the physical realm and who made the spiritual realm as well. This God is the maker of all things, and so he, he rules it all. He is one who is there. He never leaves or forsakes. All the high-placed gods are limited gods. They are assigned to a small region. They have a limited scope of dominion. But this God is not like that. He's not a god of the plain. He's not a god of the storm. He's not the moon god. He's something far more than that. And so the psalmist says that his helper encompasses every moment and every aspect of life. He says Yahweh doesn't fall asleep as other gods might do, but he's always alert. He's always watching. Rather than be far off on a hill in the distance, he's right beside me, so close that he can be my shade by night and by day. There's no geographical limitation with him, and nothing is outside of his dominion and control. He keeps me safe, watches over me, and is with me through the totality of my human experience. And most of us, when we read those words and hear those words, say, yeah, but what about the bad things that happen to us? Because when we read this psalm, it seems like it's saying that anybody who follows this God will have a pretty carefree life. But we know that that's not true. And we also know that the author of this psalm and everyone who ever sang this psalm knew that that was not true as well because they all experienced difficulty. So what did they mean by these words? See, this is one of those moments where it's helpful for us to step back and ask what the author is actually saying here. And I think one way we can do that is just kind of just 
take a survey of some points of Scripture for us, okay? See what else the Scripture says. For instance, you know, how might Jacob's son Joseph have thought about these words if that psalm had been written that early? Remember who Joseph was? Joseph was despised by his brothers, sold into slavery, dragged down to Egypt, was put in prison for a crime he didn't commit. I mean, a lot of bad things happened to him for a number of years. And when he had confronted his brothers, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. See, that's the way he viewed it. He had what I call Genesis 50-20 vision. He saw things a little bit differently. He knew that God does not cause evil, but that God does repurpose it. And in so doing, God protects us from all real harm. What else does the scripture say? Well, Psalm 23, famous psalm. I mean, we all know that psalm, right? Psalm 23 says, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not if, but when it happens, the good shepherd will be with you. And let's think about Jesus' words. I mean, listen to this. This is what he said to his disciples. He said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Hello, I mean, that's the kill zone. That's a difficult place to be. He goes on to say, you are going to be arrested. You're going to be flogged. You are, some are going to be put to death. But don't be afraid because you're precious to your heavenly father and he has every one of your hairs counted. You're that precious to him. He knows what you need even before you ask him. So you will face trouble, but ultimately speaking, God will not let your foot slip. Let's take this one step much deeper for a little bit, okay? Just, just, just follow with me in this thinking. Isaiah 53, predicting Jesus, described Jesus as one who was full of sorrows and very familiar with suffering. A few verses later, it says that Jesus carried our sorrows and that he carried our suffering because he carried the punishment for our sins. So if, if Jesus carries our sorrows and carries our sufferings, what is it that we experience in this world? Because we are sorrowful and we do suffer, but what are we experiencing? Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus experienced the full force of death's fury on himself. He took the full blast for us so that when, when we die, we don't have to be afraid of death because what we're going to experience is something far less than the horror death is. He took the full blast of death. He took the full blast of suffering. He took the full blast of sorrow. Just last week, many of you have seen with me this horrible explosion in Beirut. Oh my goodness. I mean, I've never seen a non-nuclear explosion that was that large. You watch that shockwave just, just go out and it devastated buildings, killing people, damaging people for miles and miles. It was so significant. As I looked at that, I thought, man, that's like death. That's like sorrow. That's like, that's like the devastation of the curse going through all of creation. And then I saw Jesus standing next to me. And just before that blast, he wraps his arms around me. And he absorbs the full force of death, of sorrow, of suffering. Yeah, I, I might be hit by the debris. I might be burned by the, by the flame. I, my house might be devastated, but... 
but he took the full blast. I'm suffering, but not in the same way he did because he was the shade that watched over and protected me. Now, I admit that everything I've said is a start, right? And most of us right now have questions in our heads say, yeah, but what about this situation? And what about, yeah, I'm with you on that, friends. Uh, it's hard. And yet, I think we have to be aware that there are going to be questions that can't be answered this side of eternity. And so my point today is that, is that with Jesus, the promises of Psalm 121, they find a fullness and a depth, and a meaning. But without Jesus, the promises of Psalm 121, they fall flat and feel so empty. See, if my security is in something other than Jesus, if my hope is in a God of these hills, these limited high-placed gods, if my hope is in a God other than the one who made me, then when trouble comes into my life, it's going to rock my world. It's going to rob my hope. But when the Lord Yahweh is my God, then nothing can ultimately bring harm to my life, for I have a deeper resource that no explosion could ever shake. Psalm 75.3 quotes God saying, When the earth quakes and its people live in turmoil, I am the one who keeps its foundations firm. So, as you and I trudge through this pilgrimage of life, we do indeed feel the strain on our body as the sun beats down on us. We do feel the anxiety well up in our hearts as we go through this life. And we are all tempted to say, where can I find my help? Where will I turn? Where will you turn? Honestly, there are brief moments when I feel like I am fully relying on God, but most of the time, I tend to rely on my own wits, my own ability, my education, or my experience. I mean, these, these are the modern-day Western gods of the high places, right? It's strategy, it's power, it's money. You just name it, it's out there. I tend to lean toward those. Because it, when my hope is not in God alone, I will seek for and I will stop at the intersection of lesser gods, hoping that they will somehow bring to me the things that I need. Our Christian life can be considered like a journey, right? We are on a pilgrimage as well. We are traveling to an intersection where God will dwell with us for eternity. Now, because this is a journey, right, it's not about us arriving. It's about us being on the right path. And if our goal is Jesus, then we are traveling in the right direction. Because Jesus is the intersection. He's the junction point. He's the meeting place between God and human beings. He is the goal of our journey. As the psalmist said, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the apostle John said, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the one who made everything physical. He's the one who made everything spiritual. He owns it all. He is the Lord Almighty. So who is your God? Where do you turn to to find help? Today, we're going to celebrate the Lord God Almighty who created an intersection for us at the cross. And and I, when I look at the cross, I think of that intersection, especially where you see the, the vertical beam and the horizontal beam coming, coming across, where they intersect, 
at the very center, that represents God's heart, his abiding love for you and for me. And so this morning, we are going to celebrate this meal. It's going to, be, feels, it's going to feel different because we're doing it this way, and it's been very rare. We've done this once before in our life as a congregation, so please bear with me. We're going to do this in two parts. I'm going to speak about the bread, then we'll share the bread, then I'll speak about the cup, and then we're going to share the cup. So this would be a great time for you if you, are, uh, if you have your materials to go ahead and gather them and get ready with me. It's a great time for you if you had planned to call somebody and connect with them that you can share this over the phone or over the internet. This would be a great time to do that. And if you didn't know we were doing this today, this would be a great time for you to relax a little bit. <laughs> it's going to be okay if you don't have bread and grape juice or wine or something. Uh, God's grace will cover it for you. Please feel free to join us this morning if you didn't prepare. Go ahead and get a staple food item and a staple drink that you have. And just trust it in God's grace. He will make those the bread and the cup for you today. Okay, so as you're preparing yourself, we realize that if there's more than two people there, you'll need somebody to serve one another. May I recommend that the person who serves today be the oldest Christian in the room, or maybe it's a parent, a mom or a dad, or maybe you have a ruling elder with you that you want to have them serve, that's fine too. But let the servant be the one who's giving the element. If, if there's two people, just, just speak the words to each other, okay? Because the one who's serving needs to be able to say something to, to help Affirm the meaning of what you're doing. And let the Lord lead you in that. I mean, it's bread. You know, the body of Christ was given for you. The cup, uh, the cup of the new covenant. Your sins are forgiven. God loves you. Christ loves you. I mean, just to speak words of truth to the person as you are distributing that element to them. Okay, I think that's enough preparation time and enough instruction. Let's, uh, let's spend a little moment in prayer, and then we'll share the bread together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we are amazed, and we trust that you will meet us even in this strange moment, when we are not physically together, but we are together by your Spirit. So I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would, by your Spirit, bind us together, give us an awareness of your love and an awareness of the unity that we have with you and with one another, for we ask it in your precious name.